Hi, the reading's from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17, and you'll find it on page 77 in the church Bibles in front of you, and page 115 in the large print Bibles. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do no, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant, nor your manservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Beautifully read, thank you. Well, happy new year. 2016 is here, and uh, has anyone um, done some New Year's resolutions already? I mean, you've probably done them already. I mean, has anyone, yes, no, few people, few sort of tentative hands going up. I, uh, I do do New Year's resolutions, although I got a bit disillusioned a few years ago, so I decided to do anti-New Year's resolutions, so I took up smoking and um, decided to eat lots of ice cream and stuff. Um, but I have done some for this year. And my children said, my children actually said to me uh, last week, it's actually true, we were sitting around having a meal, and uh, my three sons said, actually, Dad, we've, we've got some New Year's resolutions ourselves. And I said, oh, really? I said, yeah. And I said, we've actually, we've agreed some between us. I said, that's fascinating. That's quite amazing. I said, what are they? They said, well, we've decided to give up eating vegetables and also, we've decided to uh, actually give up just doing what you and mum ask us to. I was kind of thinking, well, that, nothing's going to change there, is it? So anyway, um, it is a new year. And uh, tonight, basically, I want to suggest a New Year's resolution to you for 2016. You might like to adopt this. You might not want to. But um, I've got this suggestion as we start this new series and the New Year's resolution suggestion number one for 2016 is free yourself from your idols. Free yourself from your idols. And uh, you're looking nervous. 
Don't worry, there's nothing to fear. Uh, hopefully, I will explain this. And um, actually, um, we are starting a new series, as Jane has said, based on this book, Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. He is a, a church leader in New York, in uh, uh, Manhattan, and he's been likened to a contemporary uh, C.S. Lewis, which is high praise, and we're looking at his book, and his book basically looks at the whole subject of idols and how in our lives we have to um, just be aware of what's happening and be, be wary of them. And so I want to do a bit of an introductory talk tonight to set the scene for the next few weeks at the church. What is an idol, I guess, is a good place to start. When I say the word idol, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? I don't know, maybe it's uh, like Pop Idol and Simon Cowell or a celebrity, Will I Am, you know, someone like that, Adele, Justin Bieber, I don't know uh, who you think of. Maybe you think of uh, like primitive people in the jungle worshipping idols and uh, maybe you watched uh, the planet of uh, the planet of the Planet of the Apes, is it? Or Tarzan or a thing like that where you've got these jungle tribes uh, running around wooden carvings or something. Maybe you think of that. Or maybe the holy amongst us think about what the Bible has to say about idols. Who knows? But I want to kick off with Tim Keller's definition of what an idol is, just so that we're kind of clear on what his theory is. And here's the definition. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. I'll say that one more time. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you uh, what only God can give. And I just wanted to say at the start of this new year, it's clear from that passage from Exodus, it's clear in the Bible that as the people of God, we're actually called to work, to turn away from uh, any idols and turn to the one true God. And that was clear from the Ten Commandments. You know the context. The people have been uh, in slavery in Egypt. God has raised up uh, Moses. He's led the people out of slavery in Egypt. They've crossed uh, the sea, the seas parted, and uh, they've come into the promised land. And Moses has received the Ten Commandments. And these things are meant to be things that ensure that people, the people of the time entering Canaan for the first time, don't end up slaves again, that they actually live in freedom. And the first thing really uh, that says uh, there in verse 3 is, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. What on earth are these other gods? You get the answer in verses 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So there's this full-on experience for Moses, for the people at the time. It's really sort of quite extraordinary at Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments are given. And interestingly, one of the themes of the Old Testament, it's there in the New Testament as well, is that despite this clear call just to worship God, to keep him as the center of our devotions, to be intimate with him, to um, keep him at the heart of our lives, people of God, the people of God, tend to actually turn away from him or drift away or, or not really follow him. They struggle to do that. And so in Exodus 32, what happens? You know what happens. Moses goes back up the mountain. What do the people do? 
they actually build a golden calf, uh, which is an idol, and they turn away from God and, and worship an idol. And this, this propensity for the people of God to drift, to turn away from God, and worship other gods is, is there in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, actually in the New Testament, what you see in the ancient Greco-Roman world was uh, lots of people worshipping um, gods other than the one true living God. Uh, you see that in Paul's letters to the churches he writes. Uh, each city actually had its favourite deities. Each city uh, had big temples uh, where people worshipped. And they had all sorts of god gods. Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. Ares, the god of war. Artemis, the god of fertility and wealth. Hephaestus, the god of craftsmanship by way of example. So actually, what we see in this uh, narrative, what we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, clear call, let's be people who worship God. He's number one. Let's just uh, turn to him for uh, uh, our lives. In him we'll find freedom. He wants to lead us out of slavery. But actually, we tend to turn away to other things, and they become the central places uh, in our lives, our life focus, and uh, these things are idols. And um, what's interesting is that there are many contemporary idols, according to Tim Keller. And I don't know whether you agree with him, but he says, actually, many people idolize all sorts of things today. They might not go to a temple. They might not go to a wooden carving or or, uh, uh, you know, some other place. But actually, uh, money, love, sex, romance, our looks, professional success and ambition, material possessions, fitness, actually all these things can become uh, idols that actually become, uh, we become more obsessed about or spend more time thinking about um, uh, than God himself. And uh, Tim Keller's basic thesis is these things are actually counterfeit gods. They're false gods because we turn to these things uh, for security, for fulfillment, for freedom, for feeling loved and honored and uh, for people uh, will find our dignity there. But actually they're counterfeit gods because these things don't deliver. And uh, he says this, a counterfeit god is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living because you feel it is the source of your hope, meaning, and fulfillment. And um, he says, you know, actually, you can make an idol out of absolutely anything. Even good things um, can become uh, idols. Family, hard work, duty, morality, intellectual prowess, uh, all these things we can actually turn into idols. And the basic thing to grasp here is that uh, these things aren't bad in themselves. This is really important. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be really uh, wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do really well professionally. Uh, None of these things are bad things. But they can become bad things if they take the place of God himself uh, in our life who calls us to worship him and worship him alone. Now, why not turn to the person next to you? Just say the most favorite thing about Mike's golden words so far this evening is this. Yeah? Are you with me? 10 seconds, 15 seconds. What are you loving about this so far? If you're sitting on your own, you can do that to yourself. Don't worry.
Ten more seconds. Okay, so here we go. Okay, should we carry on? Let's carry on. I want to say at the start of this series, actually, uh, it's really, really critical for us to understand the importance of trying to free ourselves from these idols and also really the harmful effects of actually pursuing things or having things in the place of God in our life. Uh, these things, um, well, w- when we idolize things, we actually harm ourselves, uh, we harm people around us, we can actually harm St. Saviour's, our church, and also we can uh, even harm the town uh, or people in our neighborhood who God is calling us to reach. And uh, let me unpack this a little bit. If we're idolatrous, actually, we, we try and find things that only God can give us. Uh, we end up disappointed or disillusioned or um, actually uh, these things can't lead us into life and life to the full. Only Jesus Christ can do that. God is for us, not against us. He has plans to prosper us, not to harm us, as we've heard tonight from Jeremiah 29. And uh, actually, he wants to lead us out of slavery into great things and freedom and space. And he wants to do that because he loves us. Now, the problem is uh, idols don't have the power to do what God can do. And so therefore, if we put things in the place of God, we actually demean ourselves. This is why it's just important to understand that. Often as well, if we pursue these things uh, with a, a great passion and obsession, we can actually not just harm ourselves, but we, we can harm people around us. And um, we'll unpack this a little bit. But, you know, actually, if you ever work for someone who's so driven and so ambitious, they'll burn whoever it is around them to get to the top. If you ever work with someone like that, you can actually harm people if you're uh, uh, idolatrous uh, in the extreme. You can harm uh, people you love if you're uh, always pursuing stuff uh, and uh, ignoring people around you who, uh, you know, children, what have you. And uh, we're going to unpack this a little bit. So um, let me just crack on here and say, how do we therefore free ourselves um, from our idols, okay? Do you want to, who wants to free yourself from your idols based on this? Okay, that's about 30% of you, okay. So uh, it involves two steps, are you ready? Two steps. The first step is this, according to Keller, you have to identify what your own idols are. The first thing you have to do is identify what your own idols are. Now how on earth do you identify what your own idols are? Actually, you have to ask yourself, he says, three questions. If you want to work this out, three questions. The first is this. When push comes to shove, what do I really, really love? What do I love? Question one. Secondly, question two. What actually do I put my trust in? Is it God? And question three. Who actually am I serving in my life? In all reality, When I see my situation as honestly as I can, am I really, really serving God or am I uh, serving something else? And uh, many, many years ago, we're going to go through these questions, so I'm going to flip back to number one. 
many, many years ago, I was um, leading this church in New Zealand. Someone said to me, Mike, there's this famous mentor who wants to mentor you. He's very, very well known, and uh, he's wanting to do some sort of charity work for free. You're a church leader. He's taken pity on you. And um, would you like to be mentored by him? And I thought, why not? So I met this guy. He said, let's have a coffee. He turned up. He was a nice guy. He said, hey, Mike, Mike, tell me, I just want to help you. I have no agenda here. Uh, I'm not judging you at all. What are your top uh, three or four priorities in your life? And I slightly panicked. I said, God. Um, I said, Bex. I said, my children and, and the church and some of the stuff we're doing. He said, that's great. He said, so they're, they're your priorities, are you? That's what you're going for. And I said, that's what I'm going for. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a really good father. And uh, I actually uh, you know, want to see, uh, be really faithful to what I feel God is calling me to do in the context of the church and that kind of thing. He said, that's great. He said, now, we can meet in two weeks' time. That conversation took two weeks. Uh, Took an hour and he said, let's meet in two weeks' time. He said, what I'd, what I'd like, if you don't mind, is I'd love to, if you could give me access to your diary for the last six months. I said, excuse me. He said, yeah, I just want to see your diary for the last six months. I said, uh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> You'll just go with a fry. He said, also, could you send me copies of your bank statements for the last six months? And I'm immediately thinking, oh my gosh, what's on there? You know, have I bought, you know, he's going to know where I get my pants from. That's really embarrassing and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, I said, you can have it. That's fine. And he said, I'll see you in two weeks, same place, same time. I said, okay, thank you. So I thought, what was that? I phoned up my friend and said, look, he's doing this. What's all that about? He said, don't worry. And he turned up two weeks later and he said, Mike, you told me right. Your priorities are your wife, your children doing this sort of church thing, and you've got those other things on there as well. He said, I've looked at your diary, and I've looked at what you do with your money, and uh, you know, your time, energy, and money, what you're doing with all those things doesn't reflect your priorities, if I'm honest. He said, you're working 60 to 80-hour weeks. I can see that, and you can't really honor your wife if you're doing that uh, as much as you, you say you want to. Uh, and he went through a whole load of things. The reason I tell you that story is because... As Christians, if I say, who do you love? Do you love God? You're going to say, yes, I would think. If you're going to say, you know, do you trust God? You'll go, yes. I say, do you serve God, this God who wants to lead you out of slavery? He has plans to prosper you, not to you know? Yes. But in practice, in practice, if you look at your time, your energy, your money, is that actually really, really true? You know, is that true with what you're doing? Yeah? So, um, let me ask you. Let's look at these questions. Who do you love? Who do you love? Uh, or what do you love? Now, Keller sets this up, these three questions, because the Bible uses three basic metaphors to describe how people are called to relate to God in their hearts or uh, uh, actually... Uh, how they can relate to idols. Now, the first metaphor is this. God, believe it or not, presents himself as our husband. And we are his wife. Don't get too hung up on that, but it's true. And what that speaks of is a love relationship, uh, a covenant love relationship. And basically, God says, you know, I really love you. 
I want to spend my life with you, and I, I want to walk with you. Uh, I, I kind of did in the garden with Adam and Eve. I wanted them in a beautiful place, this amazing place, just to walk with them and be with them and share life with them in the cool of the day. I, I really love my people. And uh, this is the picture of God uh, in the, one of the metaphors in the Bible. But, but what you see in the Bible through the, the, the sweep of the Old Testament is that uh, God says, guys, I loved you. I've done everything for you. I want to be with you. But you've actually walked away from me. You, you've been like an unfaithful wife. You've broken the covenant. And uh, you see this, of course, in the book of Hosea. Read the book of Hosea. It's a shocking book. The prophet Hosea is asked to marry a, a woman uh, he knows is going to be unfaithful to him, who sleeps with other people, uh, so that Hosea can understand how God feels uh, that the lovers of his life has walked away, and not just walked away, but gone to other people, other men, other idols. You see this in the book of Ezekiel. Jerusalem is described as an adulterous wife in Ezekiel 16. You see this in the, uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 54. For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He's called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back uh, uh, like a wife who's turned uh, her back on him. So um, there's this sense of actually... In your life, when push comes to shove, if you look at your time, if you look at your bank statements, if you look at really, really what you're doing, do you really love God? Are you spending time with God? Are you prioritizing God? Uh, what, what are your fondest dreams? What do you spend imagining? What, what do you really long, long, long for in your life? Is it God himself or is it something else? That's the first question. And you might have to think about this for a while, by the way. I'm going to think about this this this, this week, myself. Uh, secondly, question two. What actually, when push comes to shove, um, are you putting your trust in? In your life at the moment, what are you putting your trust in? And uh, this is an important question because Keller says, people not only love their idols, they trust them too. And the Bible, interestingly, doesn't just speak of a marriage analogy to speak of people's tendency to turn away from God. The, the, the Bible also paints a picture of of. God's people actually turning to other things and placing their, their trust in other things other than God. And um, actually, there's a sense of uh, self-reliance. The Bible calls it pride. You know, we often think pride is about thinking I'm really great. That's probably a part of pride. But ultimately, pride is about doing life in our own strength uh, without reference to God in, in any practical way. And um, again, what you see is people time and time again becoming self-reliant as you read the Bible. And there's a tendency uh, to, to self-reliance and just to sort of um, not really trust God. And God repeatedly says to the people when they find themselves in difficult situations, look, guys, uh, you've turned to those false gods, you've turned to those idols. Are they really going to help you? The truth is you're, you're trusting other things for salvation to help you, but actually only I can save you. And so you see this in Jeremiah 2. Where are the gods you've made for yourselves? Let them come and save you when you're in trouble. Or Judges 10. Uh, but you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I'll no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. 
And the list goes on. Have a look at Isaiah 45, 20 or 1 Samuel 15 uh, if you want to. But when push comes to shove, what actually do I, what do you really, really trust in uh, at the end of the day? Do you trust in this God who loves you, who wants to do life with you, who wants to lead you into freedom? Or are you trying to uh, place your trust uh, in other things? And uh, people place their trust in all sorts of things uh, other than God. Thirdly, and this is uh, quite a uh, stark one, what are you actually serving or who are you actually serving? Um, I remember a friend of mine, I really respected this person, Christian leader, well-known, you'd know them, you've probably read some of their books, you've probably heard them speak at some of the conferences. And I was talking to this guy and... uh, you know, I said to him, uh, well, he said to me, he said, you know, when I look back on my life, when I look back on what I've done, if I'm honest, Mike, I've actually just served myself. And I've built my own kingdom, not God's kingdom. And, you know, there's been, there's been good in that, you know. But actually, if I'm honest, it's just been about me. And I wish, I wish now I'm ending my ministry uh, he's in his early 70s, this person. I wish actually I'd really just served God because I would have actually found a lot more freedom than I have done. Who are you actually serving? Um, it's not just a marriage metaphor. There's not just a trust metaphor. There's a political metaphor in the Old Testament. God actually uh, is presented as our Lord and Master, but he's an extraordinary Master. He's God for goodness sake. And yet he wants to lead us into life and life to the full. And actually, if you want to experience his freedom and life, actually you do that by serving him and uh, living uh, his life, going his way. Now, um, interestingly, in the Bible, there's all sorts of um, examples, again, of of people turning away from God and not serving him and um, thinking, actually... That, that's too costly, or I'll do this instead, or maybe I'll do, you know, da 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 da, whatever. Actually, one of the most interesting scriptures is Romans 1 25 to 26. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts and so on and so forth. So here's the interesting thing whatever you actually serve, Uh, and obey, uh, uh, whatever you put at the center of your lives, you actually end up serving and obeying. So one of the deceptions, Keller says, of idols is that basically you might think, "Uh, I'm going to go for this, and that will give me control and power. Actually, what happens is these things start to control and empower you, and you become enslaved by them. And so verse 26, uh, what happens actually when you do that is that um, actually you, you end up with uncontrollable drives and desires if, if you serve uh, an idol of some kind or other. And I think you see this in our culture. It's addictive, compulsive, paranoid, anxious, you know, um, and uh, we have to be very, very careful in our lives what we give our devotion to. And often the history of the people of God, it sounds very negative, this isn't meant to be negative, is one of walking away and doing things in our own strength and worshipping things other than God. And there's a real cost to that. Someone said to me, you know, when I was a lawyer, uh, I've handed my notice in 
And uh, I said to my boss, I had lunch with her actually a couple of weeks ago, and um, I remember saying, um, I'm actually handing my notice in. Um, she said, oh, she said, what are you planning on doing? And I said, I'm actually going to theological college. She went, oh. And she, I remember she paused, she went, that's so costly. can't believe you're doing that. But actually, the more you and I go the way of God and live as God wants to, the more freedom we find. It's actually costly to us when we don't do that. Does that make sense? Um, so, who do you love when push comes to shove? Who do you trust and who do you serve? If you answer those questions honestly, you, you might come up, Keller says, with a, with a list of some of your idols. When push comes to shove, you know, what, what's in the place of God in your life? Step one. Step two is really short, so we're nearly there. Uh, step two, how do you free yourselves of your idols? Well, you turn back to the one true living God. You turn back to the one true living God, this God who loves you, this God who delights in you, this God who sings over your life with great joy and, and delight. You turn back to uh, God. And um, one thing is, uh, we're all prodigals. Actually, that's another great theme in the Bible. We all have a tendency just to walk away from God. And uh, we end up in slavery and we come back to him. We then walk away. We come back to him. Have you walked 100% consistently in obedience uh, to God with great passion and devotion? Uh, I haven't. I struggle to do that for 24 hours in the day, uh, each day. And there's a sense that we walk away, we come back, we walk away, we come back. What's amazing about God, if you're sitting there thinking, oh gosh, I, maybe I have sort of lost my focus on God. Maybe I've lost my wholehearted devotion on God. Actually, what he does is uh, he uh, welcomes us back with open arms, like the father in the story of the prodigal son. Actually, he doesn't just welcome us back with open arms. He comes running for us, looking for us, and throws a party when we come back to us. Why? Because he loves us, and he delights in us, and he actually wants to uh, give us a life uh, where we don't experience bondage and slavery, but a life of freedom and um, uh, joy and all the things he offers. So that's how you do it. So what we're going to be doing over the next weeks, we're going to be unpacking some of these themes in a bit more detail. Money, sex, power, uh, something to look forward to. Some say, oh my goodness, Mike, this is, I'm not sure I'm really looking forward to all of this, but it'll be fine, trust me. Uh, oh, trust God, actually. Um, <laughs> but for now, can I make a suggestion? Um, maybe on this first Sunday in the year, you want to just... Uh, if you want to, we'll have a time of silence. You could just say, you know, God, uh, I'm not sure where I am in all of this, but one thing is for certain. In 2016, I actually want to worship you with a devotion and a wholeheartedness, and none of us can do this perfectly, that I've never done before. In 2016, I actually want to really just go for it with you and put you number one, as best I can in all of my humanness and all of my brokenness and all my flakiness and all my wonder and gifts, I actually just want to put you number one uh, this year for my own sake, because you want to leave me out of slavery, for the sake of those people around me who um, 
will benefit if I do that for the sake of St. Saviour's and for the sake of the community in which I find myself in. Should we uh, pause and reflect on that? Let's pause and reflect for a few moments on that. So, Heavenly Father, I pray tonight, Lord, that as we kick off this new year, we would, we'd actually just come back to you where we've drifted and actually we would see your love for us. We would see your power and your faithfulness and we'd trust you in a deeper way this year. And actually we'd serve you in a, in a way we haven't done before. We'd take risks and in so doing... All of that stuff, we'd find your life, which is life to the full. And I want to pray for us as a church at St. Saviour's Lord. Could we uh, actually uh, pursue you with a hunger and passion that we haven't done before? Would we take risks, get over our uh, self-consciousness, our reticence, our reserve, and actually really go for the things you're calling us to this year? And Lord, we seek to worship you and worship you alone for the sake of you, but also for the sake of us. Amen.